0: Hello, UConn fans, and welcome to another installment of the UConn Pod. Uh, this is Amon Kidwai and I'm here with Dalton Gifford. Dalton, how you doing? I'm good. Amon, how are you? Doing well, thanks. Um, we're going to be talking about the UConn football spring game. The Huskies had their final spring practice of uh, uh, of the season at Pratt Whitney Stadium Friday night, and from all accounts, Dalton, it sounds like it was a pretty exciting display of
1: football. Oh, it it definitely was, uh, especially compared to some of the football we've seen in the past seasons and the past spring games. This this was something else, and it was exciting, it was fun, and it, it left a lot of people hopeful for what's coming up in the season.
0: Well, I think that's uh, obviously music to a lot of people's ears. Uh, what were some of the things which stood out to you the most in terms of uh you know just just from an overall standpoint
1: um in the simplest of terms it was just speed the the offense was moving fast I mean I was trying to live tweet the game and I couldn't really keep up with the the offense and it was I mean last year I felt like I had time to craft and proofread and do all that (laughs) stuff whenever I had to talk about the team moving down the field but they they were flying around out there. They were making plays. They were getting on the ball quick and snapping the ball quick, and it was it was something else, and it was exciting.
0: So yeah, new offense under offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley, and, and we'll go into that in a little bit more detail uh, later on. But uh, there's also a completely new scheme uh, being being developed on the other side of the ball defensively. Uh, what
1: were your first impressions from the the three three five defense from Billy Crocker? Um, it's, a, it's a different style of defense. It's not something you see too often, uh, whereas you normally see the 4-3 or the 3-4 or some variation of those. So just from that standpoint alone, it's a defense that creates kind of issues in that it's something different that people have to game plan for. It's also a defense that you can bring pressure from – so many different places you can mix it up you can have people dropping in you can have people dropping out it's it's just a very exotic and fun defense uh the last team i feel like i personally watched run that style of defense was probably buffalo when they had khalil Mack, uh back a couple years ago and it, it worked out really well for them Yeah, i think that's also something that's
0: uh going to be worth keeping an eye on in terms of the the personnel required for that, that the 3-3 three, three front, um, how well equipped do you think UConn's roster previously built for a 3-4 defense? Um, you know, how well do you think that roster
1: translates to the new scheme? Um I I think it's gonna translate very well. I mean we have a lot of very versatile defensive lineman, which it transfers over perfectly coming from a 3-4 defense we have big guys like Foley and Kevin Murphy that can plug up the middle but they can also bump out and play defensive end when they need to we got guys like Luke Carrizola who can put his hand in the dirt also capable of standing up if the play calls for it and then we have uh, the linebackers like Vontae Diggs and Cam Stapleton they can they can do pretty much any linebacker job that they're called to do. And then you got Junior Joseph to hold down the middle of it all and kind of be a field general and patrol between the tackles. And so I, I think that this roster can translate very well into the new defense. And and then the biggest part is just going to be putting together the secondary around it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's really exciting to think about what we can get from – uh, Foley, Carrizola, Joseph, uh, Vontae Diggs, in all in all of their senior seasons, uh, those guys have been contributing. they basically their entire time at UConn, and and so uh, now we'll get a chance to see that that group as seniors. And I think this um, scheme shift could be a a big kind of accelerator for having just a more disruptive defense, which uh, which is exciting. So. Uh, but you do mention, uh, you do make a very good point about the secondary. Uh, definitely a situation, kind of in flux, kind of solid at, at in, in some spaces. Uh, mm-hmm. The Huskies, obviously, they're they're losing Obi Malafonwu, who's looking like a very likely early early round NFL draft pick, yeah. uh, and then Javon Williams, who we shouldn't sleep on either, who uh, was was a three year starter at corner. Yeah. Um, so, and then, and then that safety position opposite Melifanwu uh, was in constant flux as well. There was, there was no one who really kind of locked down that job. So now we have basically two starting safety jobs completely up for grabs. Um, luckily, there's Trey Bell, the Vanderbilt transfer, who is right. um, looking no, no, no. like the likely uh, starter opposite Jamar Summers. So let's start there. Uh, did you did you see anything or, or what did you see out of trey bell uh, at
1: corner um i mean he's he's a great solid corner he obviously comes from good experience coming from Vanderbilt SEC school i mean he's a great option opposite jamar summers and uh i think as long as he can solidify that position and kind of hold his own there he'll It'll fit right into the whole defensive scheme as everything goes.
0: And then, what about at safety? Uh, did you did you notice anyone stand out, or was there a rotation, or or who you know who who do you think got the most reps, or anything um, anything on that side?
1: Um, I definitely, I believe the first team defense I saw. I, I could be wrong. I believe it was Bryce McAllister and Tony Watkins were taking most of the reps. Uh, I know I saw redshirt freshman Tyler Coyle get in there a few times. Um, they they were kind of trying out a lot of people around the secondary. Uh, I mean, I think it's great that Jamar got some burn there uh, last season because it just helps that he can move around the secondary to do whatever he needs to do based on who we're playing. And it's, it's definitely a position that's going to be up for grabs come camp, but I think there's a good shot that – we see a lot of Bryce McAllister back there, and like I said, Tony Watkins should uh, get a good amount of burn at least in the early parts of the season
2: mm-hmm. and
0: and those were the guys who who had been splitting that that other safety role last mm-hmm. year. so uh, makes sense that they as incumbents kind of hold it down. but I do think there will be some competition from the younger guys. Uh, interesting to hear about coyle. I know Eddie Hahn, mm-hmm. a class of twenty sixteen recruit is someone who, uh, who has been impressive as well out there. And uh, there's some guys, Aaron Garland, uh, John Robinson. I don't know you know, who's playing quarter, who's playing safety. We, we won't really know. They'll be kind of
1: cl- – cl- keep that information close to the, to the chest. But um, – uh, yeah, I mean, all of those guys got were getting burned at a, a plethora of different positions. And that's the thing with this uh, five defensive back uh defense that's getting put in is that there's so many more or well there's the one extra position really that you can kind of rotate people through for your whole secondary whereas normally you're playing with two corners and two safeties now you bring in that fifth player you can use it as another linebacker you can use as another defensive back you can do whatever you need with it and it gives a lot of more a lot more options to rotate players in
0: nice well uh, let's let's Shift gears a little bit and talk about the quarterback situation. So we've got right now, um, due to uh, the roster attrition, we look, backup quarterback is gone uh, in Garrett Anderson, and so there are some there are some reinforcements coming in next year. But right now the the roster is pretty thin under center. I would say um, we've got Bryant uh who was the starter for most of last season, Donovan Williams, who supplanted him as the starter, and then. Uh, Brandon Bisak, a former walk-on who uh, who had been taking some first-team reps in the spring, so uh, I think the quarterback situation will change in the fall because of a newcomer. But uh, from from what you saw in the spring game and and kind of what you've been reading, Dalton, what how do you how what did you see from the quarterbacks uh, on Friday night?
1: Well, the only two quarterbacks that played were Bisak and Sheriffs. Uh- and they kind of split the game half and half with the first team. Uh, Obviously, Sheriff's uh, a little bit more athletic, a little bit more of a mobile-style quarterback. Uh, Good arm, not always the most accurate, but he makes a lot of big plays, made a lot of huge plays for UConn last season. Um, He has that leadership under his belt, the game experience. And then you have Bezak. He's a, a younger guy, hasn't gotten any game time, but... He's more of a kind of a pocket passer style quarterback, and he can make pretty much every throw on the field. He's got a good arm. He makes good decisions. Um, he he puts the ball where it needs to be, and he also showed in the spring game that he's not afraid to pull it on a couple of the read options and take, take off and get what he can get. He's a taller guy, so when he can fall forward, he even gets a couple extra yards there. Um, as you were saying, come summer when we get some of the new guys that come in, uh, when Donovan Williams is fully healthy, there's going to be a really serious competition at quarterback, especially with Bezak now getting a lot of burn uh, from spring. Would you say that coming out though, as
0: of as of right now, Bryant Sheriffs is the number one quarterback?
1: Um, I I would probably say that. Uh, looking at the spring game, I mean, if you want to get technical, he started with the first team first, so mm-hmm. uh, I would say that he's probably. Where it is right now, the starter, if you want to name one. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, like Coach Edsel has been saying, there's no too deep set. He hasn't really tried to name starters at any specific position. But uh, yes, he was the first one out there with the first team. And he also has the game experience to kind of solidify that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think someone who who is going to be a competitor is going to be junior college transfer David Pindle. Um, mm-hmm. He's from Lackawanna Community College in Pennsylvania. Got had a good amount of playing time. Obviously recruited by this staff, uh, which is which makes him one of you know one of two quarterbacks on the roster next year. In addition to a freshman who will yep. uh, have that distinction. So um, I I would have to imagine I've been saying uh, you know that he'll be the leader. He's a very leading candidate for that starting job, but. Uh, he'll definitely have to beat out a good crew of people to earn it if he, if
1: he does. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can only imagine it's going to be a pretty heated competition come camp.
0: Yep. And, and luckily, you know, they do have a lot to work with uh, from a, from a playmaker's perspective, right? I mean, we, we we've got our Newsom and a slew of receivers. So, and the tight end. So there's a good group that they have to work with there.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got Newsome. Uh, there was a, a ton of running backs making plays in the spring game. They they rotated. I want to say probably five running backs in. It was you had Newsome, Jason Thompson. Um, you had Nate Hopkins, uh, Juice Vickers. There was a lot of guys getting burned and a lot of guys making good plays in there. And then you look out on the wings. You got uh, Hergie Mayala. You got um, Keon Dixon uh skeins, you got so many young guys that were stepping up and making plays, and then even some of the guys that have been around kind of showing their uh showing their experience and showing that they know how to get it done, even in the absence of some staple guys that we've had for a few years now.
0: yep, yeah, and another one i want I would like to add to that based off of uh what i heard and 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 read was uh Tyric Beals who. Who had a big player too out there so um absolutely the offense has guys to work with and and if they can you know if if Sherefs kind of solidifies himself or if somebody does end up beating him out uh the offense does have some things to work with and and with this new scheme shift right i think there's a lot of reason for optimism because it makes sense it puts less stress on the offensive line. It's, uh, modern people are going to want to come play for it. And, uh, it, it allows you to benefit, you know, to make the best use you can of the existing talent of which there is a decent amount, especially someone like Newsom. Uh, there'll be, there's going to be a transfer, uh, grad transfer coming in from South Carolina, David Williams. Uh, you know, that, that can be a very dangerous running back combo. Uh, so should be exciting to watch. Um, Obviously, especially at receivers, so much production to replace following the graduation of Noel Thomas. So um we'll love to see who who emerges from there. And then with regards to Keon Dixon, I would like to make it very clear that I built the <laughs> Keon Dixon bandwagon.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I was on that train two
0: years ago, yeah. Um because uh you know saw him on the field a bunch of times against uh you know guys who had uh you know, much higher quote-unquote ratings and offer lists and all that stuff. But Dixon was basically playing quarterback for his high school team, and that's what kept him from, um, I think, probably getting a lot of you know, recruiting recognition uh, from from the powers that be. So yeah. uh, really excited for what, what
1: he'll do at UConn, and, and he's a great kid too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was making some huge plays in the game. I, I have no doubt he's going to have a great career here.
0: Yep. Uh, so let's, let's get into kind of dive in a little deeper to that offensive scheme. Um, and we'll also get into, of course, your, your primary area of expertise, the offensive line, but yep. um, from the offense as a whole, uh, obviously they're not going to try and show every single thing that they want to do in the spring game, but um, we got a taste uh, yep. uh, of what Rhett Lashley is trying to run here. So um could you kind of describe the scheme
1: from what you saw Friday night? Um very spread, very fast. I mean, people can kind of pick up bits and pieces from what you saw Auburn doing last year. It's it's spread, but it still incorporates running the ball plenty of times. There was still power was still in the playbook. It's still there, but it's um I think what we've seen at UConn in the past few years is that we have all these playmakers in our skill positions. We have a lot of speed. We have a lot of guys that can do something once they get the ball in their hands. And this offense is the kind of offense that's going to put the ball in their hands. It's there's a lot of quick passes. There's high percentage passes. There's misdirection uh, before the handoff that kind of to try to freeze the defense for just that half a step. There's a lot of stuff that's going to make it easier for our running backs, it's going to make it easier for the offensive line and it's going to get the ball the ball to the playmakers quicker and let them do something with it. There's plenty, they did show off a decent amount of shot plays, so there's no lack of those in the playbook, but a lot of it is about getting the ball to the playmaker and letting him do something with it out in the open field. And I think that is what Yukon has needed for a while now. Uh, to just be able to spread the ball out, put it in the hands of their their skill players, and kind of let them make plays where they can where they can help out the most.
0: Yeah, and I mean, UConn had some success last year when they did spread it out a little bit, run a little bit more of a pacey offense, but they just kind of never used it enough and weren't well-versed enough in that type of offense as a staff to, to be able to kind of run that as a sustainable strategy, much yeah. to – the detriment of Bob Diaco's head coaching career.
1: So, um, Yeah, I mean, without without going too far back, uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, the TJ Wiest kind of interim error there where he kind of went to a more spread out mm-hmm. system and they were throwing, flying the ball around and uh, a lot of the little swing passes and the quick wide receiver screens to let it get out to your playmaker and let him make something happen in the open field.
0: Hmm. What what could have been right if if the yeah, Huskies hold on to him who <laughs> who had had experienced some success in the interim role?
1: Yep. Um,
0: of course, you know we can't uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. Exactly. Um, but yeah, glad it's. I think just for everyone, UConn fans, it's it's a, a absolute relief to know that the football program's offense has decided to get with the times. And I think that's something that people were probably concerned with, with the Ed's liar because mm-hmm. originally his Husky teams kind of played that run first, grind them out style as well. Yep. But it looks like Randy has uh, in his, in his travels come to realize that, uh, you know, you need to, you need to be doing things in a slightly different way in order to succeed.
1: So, so good for him. Yeah. I mean, I think a big part of it is that, it, from what it seems and what it sounds like is that he's going to kind of let uh, Lashley have reign of the offense. And, I mean, we all know Hetzel is kind of a defensive-minded head coach, so that's probably a good idea. and It looks like it's going to work out um, to where Rhett Lashley can kind of do what he needs to do on offense, and that's that's kind of what we want to see. Yeah,
0: so it should be good. And then, like I said, I think the, the – um, the t- Type of talent that we're going to be able to recruit based off of that um, change also is going to be noticeable and, and and potentially already is if you even just look at some of the guys they've they've been able to add on the recruiting trail for 2017 transfers um, some other transfers that might be forthcoming so. Um, it all kind of amounts to, I think, you know, what we're all trying to get at here is uh, 2017 might be a better season than people are predicting. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I uh, do want to go in a little bit on the offensive line,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
0: obviously an area where the Huskies have uh, struggled over the past few years uh, for a while now. And uh, it's, it's been a big deal in terms of the offense's ability to, to have success. So, Um, you know, I think last year at the spring game, when, when we saw that first team still struggle to kind of open up holes, we, we realized it would be cause for concern. And then when they couldn't do it against Villanova and uh, an FCS defense, a smaller team with fewer players. So, um, what did you see on Friday from the offensive line? Um, and, and, uh, you know, do you think this scheme helps them out a little bit as well?
1: Um, absolutely. I mean, one of the big downfalls with the old you know, grind it out, smash mouth type offense was that teams were loading the box. And as much as you want to be able to grind it out and smash other teams in the mouth, when you're blocking with five offensive linemen, a tight end and a fullback against the box with seven, eight, nine players because they know you're going to run it, you're, you're just outnumbered and you're outmanned. With this new offense, it's spread out. Uh, there's so many different ways that a play can go that if a team wants to lo- load the box, have fun. We're gonna put it outside, we're gonna get it outside of you, and you're gonna pay for it. And then, it, in turn, that makes teams more weary to load up the box, which presents as more of a one-on-one challenge for the offensive line. It makes it kind of a lighter box, makes it a little more even, and allows them to kind of block man on man instead of trying to block two people with one guy or trying to let one person be free and hope the running back can make him miss in the hole it's it's this style of offense definitely takes a little pressure off of the need to have real road grading offensive linemen that can just drive people 5 yards off the ball every play
0: yeah and, and kind of like you said i mean that that the run first scheme Depends heavily on the offensive line, whereas this one less so at least. Um, So then, you know, what did you see out of them? Were they, were they able to keep up with that pace? Um, You know, how did protection look? Uh, That kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they looked, they looked like they were in great shape. Uh, I saw them. No one really looked winded. They were flying up to the ball. Sometimes they were getting snaps off before I could even look back up from trying to tweet about the previous play. So. They, they were getting snaps off quick. They were getting up to the line quick. They were uh, running the ball well. I mean, I think it was uh, Nate Hopkins had three rushing touchdowns, which is, I mean, if you ever want to gauge how an offensive line does, people usually look at how many rushing touchdowns people score. And this was also with them being down two assumed starters and Crozier and uh, Tommy Hopkins. So, I mean, it's, it's looking good. Good. It's looking better. They were protecting well. Uh, I mean one play that stands out in my mind. I, I wrote about it in multiple tweets and uh, in the article I recently did but Brandon Bezak fumbled a shotgun snap and he had enough time to pick it back up and throw it out of bounds before he was called dead in a game where they weren't letting quarterbacks get hit so that, that made me very optimistic that they were doing very well protecting and that we also had a quarterback that was composed enough to think to do that.
0: Nice. So um, what about individually? Were there any guys who, who stood out to you from that group who you did get to see?
1: Um, well, redshirt freshman Cam DeGeorge came out with the first team offense, so and he Played a hell of a game. I didn't see any major mistakes by him. I didn't see him getting beat on a consistent basis. I mean, it's going to be tough when you're going up fully Fatukasi here and there. Ever he's going to beat everyone on the offensive line every now and then. But uh, he he did a great job for being such a young guy. Steve Hashemi was in there at guard. He, uh, he stepped up a lot. He uh, he was playing well. He had some great pulls. Blew a couple people up in the hole same thing all across the line i mean dan oak uh stepping up at center he's he's been excellent he's honestly just waiting for his time to get on the field and i think he'll he'll be really really good once he gets a chance to and then matt pert just looks like he's still coming along very well progressing very well from where he was uh last year and starting to look more and more natural in his position and more and more comfortable every time i see him play
0: Was was he at left tackle?
1: Uh, I believe, yes. I believe Pert Pert was at left tackle and DeGeorge was at right tackle.
0: Nice. So we feel like they're doing well, and uh, additionally the offense will take a little bit off their plate in terms of kind of carrying the onus for the team. So um, we feel feel decent about that,
1: the situation with the
0: offensive line right now
1: absolutely absolutely i mean i just think i think it's going to give them a lot more opportunity to block people one on one which is something that i think they will excel at cuz it it's a lot easier to know this is the guy i'm blocking and i got to take him out of the play than i got to block this guy and make sure this other guy doesn't go somewhere and make sure these two guys don't try to come through this gap so i think this will this offense will really help them out
0: all right, good. Good to know. Fingers crossed. We'll hope that the offensive line uh, has a better performance this year than it has in the past. Um, to switch gears a little bit, uh, so the Huskies are now done with spring football. Uh, right? They've got they're off uh, from organized football activity until yep. summer camp starts in June. Is yep. that right?
3: Uh,
1: so, I believe so. Something like that
0: yeah June or June or July, you know, I think it starts. Um, yeah. so what you know, can you give us some insight into what goes on in the off season do do they you know do the coaches give you okay. diets, workout programs like what you know what kind of you you obviously have to stay in some sort of shape, right? because yes. you need to be ready for camp. so yeah. um you know how do you make that work and and what goes down in the off
1: season? Um, just speaking that, that you can share. Speaking to my own personal experience, there'll probably be uh, a couple more weeks of having actual lifts, uh, team lifts, and workouts. Um, they'll probably... I mean, we usually didn't have any mandatory football things uh, come finals time. It's time to focus on academics. You got to gotta get the grades so you can stay eligible. And then um, they usually have a few weeks where they get to go home after finals and before they come back for first summer and um in my experience the coaches will give uh develop a little workout plan for for you to do that just to try to stay in shape try to stay healthy and normally i mean in my experience again uh there might be a week or 10 days or so that you get to go home kind of when the last summer class ends and uh you get a little you'll get a little workout booklet just to kind of you know don't slack off too hard and come back and be completely out of shape for camp and that kind of stuff. So, Good to know. Good. Thanks for the inside scoop there. So
0: um, so the Huskies will be off until the summer. And as we kind of had, had uh, brought up briefly earlier, um, we're starting to get the sense or feeling that 2017 might not be a, a full-on, you know, year, year one with a new head coach kind of
1: rebuild. Right? Yeah. Are we are we getting that sense here? Um, a little bit. I don't. I don't want to put anyone on the hype train or set anyone's expectations up too high and then have them fall off. This this is still a team that completely cleared house and has installed a full new system and installed a new system on offense and defense. They're still kind of finding their niche and finding out where everyone's going to be, but the playmakers that we have on this roster fit in very well with the new schemes that just came in from these coaches
0: i mean i think i think you know better than expected would be even if they could just go like 500 which would be incredible i think given the circumstances but you know the other thing that kind of keeps that from being too much of a reality in addition to all the things which you said which which i do agree with but it's also a, just a competitive conference, um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm starting to feel pretty optimistic about 2017. I think, um, for for a lot of the reasons which we described, but you know, Edsel has taken over, and and it's it's looking good. You know, it, if you think about where we ended. 2016 and and you know what that felt like and sure. thinking you know oh well we probably have to hold on to Diaco probably have to give him at least one more year yep. because we're paying so much for him and blah 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 and you know who could we even find to replace him necessarily that would be <laughs> uh, you know that would be good but he David Benedict you know give him some credit he he turned it around and now people are excited again so it's yeah. that's actually pretty remarkable when you consider the state of UConn football on, you know, November 20-whatever
1: when the season ended last year. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the the Edsel hire was – it was definitely a surprise to me when it happened. I mean, I I was very uh, skeptical of it, I'll say. I mean, I he was the coach I committed to, so I had faith in him back there, but there was always a little part of me that was – I'll say a little upset at him for – uh, leaving when he did but I mean still will stay in contact with the guys I still talk to everyone seems to to be a little bit happier a little bit more loose and a lot of the guys feel that uh, this is going to be a good year too so it seems that he's kind of got the team on his side which is huge and uh, it's it's looking like there's optimism from inside the locker room to out in the stands so
0: well, that's, that's excellent. That's good to hear. Uh, I think we'll we'll definitely be excited to see the Huskies take the field for the first time, uh, which will be on August 31st, so not for a while. But everybody, make sure to set your calendar, buy tickets, support the squad, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so we are here with Louie Benjamin, analyst for Pro Football Focus, here to talk UConn Huskies and the NFL draft. Um, the Huskies had a 2016 season, which – fell short of its expectations just by a little bit. Uh, There was uh, a lot of optimism from the fan base and people around the program going into it uh, did not meet those expectations. But we're not here to talk about that. The Huskies, despite having a down season, do have some NFL-caliber prospects, and Louis was very kind enough to share some insight from his work with Pro Football Focus. So, Louis, thank you very much for joining us.
2: No problem. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So uh, I think, you know, for for my money, pro football focus, they kind of, you know, and you can correct me on any of these details, but uh, for those who may not be familiar, uh, kind of wrote the book on individual statistical analysis in football. Would that be fair to say?
2: Well, we kind of grade what doesn't really get looked at normally. So we kind of take the bias out of it. Where we go beyond like the normal box score,
0: and and what are some of those biases that um, you know you think probably the average fan or the average kind of stat package um, has?
2: Well, you know, you don't see really what happens play to play on the interior. For example, you're basically on the box score, you just see who gets the most tackles, and that doesn't really tell the whole story.
0: And what about what about with like skill position players? What's you know is there is there kind of what's the what's the part that people are looking past that they that they need to be
2: oh yeah and like stuff like yards per carry or yards it, it, again that doesn't always tell the whole story like the credit could should might go to the offensive line where if you're just looking at stats the running back might look really good when really it's his line that did all the work
0: and so when you're watching a game do you watch uh, do you watch a game the entire way through or are you watching say an entire uh, a, a specific player's entire season?
2: Well, throughout the season we do. We watch every single play, every single player, you know, every single game, NFL and college, uh, and that's throughout the season. Then in the draft season we go back and go over the, you know, the potential draft prospects, and we'll go over those guys, you know, with a fine-tooth fine, uh, comb again just to make sure we got everything right and we're, again, getting that context, see where they really uh, stack up.
0: Mm-hmm. so the the draft getting started this week on thursday april 27th with the first round on prime time uh then the second and third rounds will be friday evening at 7 p.m and then saturday at noon we'll have rounds four through seven so uh going over to the yukon huskies um you you had followed them across the season i at that point, let's say at the start of 2016, were there any Huskies on the radar at, at that point?
2: I would say the top Husky on the radar was Jamar Summers. Um, obviously, he hasn't come out because I mean he had a down season, mm-hmm. but he was the main guy for me.
0: Right at cornerback, obviously a position where if you're if you're really good, you can make a lot of money and make a lot of NFL teams happy and and. And want you. So that makes sense. Well, then I guess a lot changed uh, because Summers is staying, and kind of it seems out of nowhere, um, maybe not to people who follow UConn very closely, but uh, certainly to the NFL draft community, uh, safety Obi Melafamu seems to have come out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean we, he graded well for us, um, but obviously, he blew up the combine, and that's kind of where he's made his name right now.
0: So when you have a player, you know, you guys are trying to do a, a thorough statistical analysis. So um, you have a player who puts together a pretty good season. How,
2: uh,
0: so how, how, do, how much stock do you put into the combine when you're making your rankings and evaluations?
2: It's it's a piece of the pie. You, you have to take everything uh, and put a certain value to it. It's de- it's not everything, but it definitely, if he didn't test as well as he did, he wouldn't be ranked as high as he is.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure, that makes sense. And yeah, I think a lot of teams have shown a, a proclivity towards finding the best possible athletes and hoping that they can figure out the football side and and in, in Malafonu's case, he really did put the football side together in his last two seasons at UConn. Um, so we all know about his his prodigious athletic gifts and and how uh, obviously those crazy numbers he posted in the combine has uh, has helped out his stock. But it seemed like there were other reasons that there seems to be that there is a lot of hype around Malafonu and why they are kind of grading him out pretty early. So. What beyond his athletic ability do you think has uh, scouts excited about him?
2: Uh, For me, it's his versatility. He can pretty much do anything you ask of him. Uh, He he graded pretty well with us, but he, he lined up all over the field. You know, he can play in the slot. And at the senior bowl, he lined up outside and took some snaps at outside corner. And he was running down the field with Zay Jones, just, you know, matching him all the way down the field
0: which is crazy for a guy who's what 6 foot 4 220 or something right. like that right uh so is is that is that a realistic possibility that he plays corner at uh, at the next level or uh is it more likely he just occasionally flexes to being a man uh, a man on man kind of guy
2: i mean from what i'm hearing that i mean this is not what pro football focus does we don't go with the the rumors but from what mm-hmm. i'm hearing he's some teams want to try him there first or they're going to try him out there. But for me, he's he's just a versatile guy, and, like, he's a chess piece that you, you just move around and play the matchups with.
0: Nice. Well, I think that's, that's really exciting for the Huskies. Uh, he's got some potential to match or potentially even break the record for uh, earliest Husky drafted, that distinction currently shared by uh, – tie uh between running back donald brown and cornerback byron jones do you think he uh do you think he can do that do you think he can be picked before 27 overall
2: he's he has a really good shot at it he's our uh, 32nd ranked prospect on our pff draft board so you know he's right there and it it just depends on the the fit really with with the team's picking at the end Uh, he's definitely has the athletic upside
0: so if you had to make a pick right now, if you had to, to pin a, uh, a prediction on him, uh, what would you say?
2: Uh, I mean, I'd say it doesn't make it past Seattle.
0: <laughs> and that's at? 26. 26. Okay, well, that would be a record for the UConn <laughs> Huskies. Louis Benjamin from Pro Football Focus on record. Uh, Obi Melofonu can do it. There's your hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to, I guess, the one who would be the next most likely, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but that would be wide receiver Noel Thomas. Is that who we would say second most likely to succeed in this uh, UConn group?
2: He's definitely the most notable uh, after Malifanwu. I think uh, yeah, he's, he's, he has he most likely will be drafted.
0: And so I, when, I, when a guy is, is in the range where Noel Thomas is, um, from what I can gather, where he's not necessarily a top 10 prospect at his position, um, you, know, you can probably school me on where his exact ranking is, but it feels like the gap between some of that those next tiers or the, the amount of players who are in those next tiers is higher. So is, it, is there a wide range of where, where Thomas could end up in the draft?
2: I think he's a late round pick, just based on how he tested athletically. Uh, unfortunately, even though he did better at his pro day, um, mm-hmm. I, I think you have to take that with a grain of salt. Um, he just he he graded pretty well with us, but he was more of a volume player, and he's gonna have to, you know, fit a specific system and a specific role with whatever team drafts him.
0: So it sounds like he'll get a shot at least. Uh, what would you say his his strengths are according to the the scouting reports?
2: Uh, you know he's a hands catcher he's he has a big catch radius um, he's not afraid to catch the ball and absorb contact he He makes some crazy catches um, you know his as we know, sheriff's was not the most accurate guy mm-hmm. and to make as many catches as he did was pretty impressive. I think he'd be ranked a lot higher if he had a more accurate quarterback, uh, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think the, the that he had 100 catches in that UConn offense with Brian Sharafs, who was very injured uh, for a good chunk of his time in the 2016 season, and then freshman, true freshman quarterback Donovan Williams playing for the last couple of games. Um, I mean... If you if you adjust for that UConn offense, those 100 catches is, uh, you know, probably would have had could have had a lot more uh, on a different team. But he, you're right; he did get a lot of volume. Uh, but I do think he showed he showed a lot in terms of different ways that he can be helpful to a team. So uh, hopefully, he's malleable and, and willing to work hard and, and ends up somewhere. Do you have a, a final prediction for him?
2: Final prediction for him. Let's see. Well, I think he may be a good fit for the Detroit Lions. Let's say fifth round.
0: Fifth round for Noel Thomas. That would be a great year for the Huskies, a first-round pick and a fifth-round pick. So then out of the rest of the the potential Husky seniors who uh, have a chance of being drafted, I would put on that list – Cornerback Javon Williams, tackle Andreas Kanapi, uh, defensive tackle Michael Myers, maybe even um, John Green, who put up some good athletic numbers. Uh, is that is that the full extent of people who are on the radar you would say? And then of that group, well, let's let's go with that one first. Is that the is that everyone who's kind of even on the radar at all?
2: Yeah, for me, yeah, that's everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and so then of that group. Who do you think then has the best shot of being drafted and why?
2: Uh, Michael Myers. I think he will definitely be drafted. He's a monster, uh, you know, in the run game. He, he's a run defender. Uh, he, he had an 89.2 run defense grade, which was the sixth best mon- uh, amongst interior defenders in the country.
0: Oh, wow. So he probably was keeping some pretty good company on, on that list. Um, guys who are probably much higher uh, have much higher draft rankings.
2: Yes, he was way up there. The thing bringing him down is he—he's non-existent against uh, you know pass rushing. His uh, pass rush productivity was 0. .7, uh, which is a signature stat for PFF, but that was dead last.
0: <laughs> okay, so he graded—he graded very well in just kind of the overall. Positional excellence, but in pass rushing, uh, not productive. Not very productive. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully, you know, that still to me has the makings of someone who can be a rotational, you know, pl- plug defensive tackle. Uh, can he play the nose? You think? I mean, that's what he's been doing for UConn. The past
2: yeah, that's years. what he is for me. Yeah, he's a mm-hmm. one to two down nose tackle.
0: Yep. He'll, he'll so, Stop that run. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like teams are always kind of looking for someone who can fit that skill set, and that it's a tough one to fill. So, uh, maybe Myers gets in there. I would love to see him get drafted. I think he was one of the, the great Husky defenders that we've had the experience to see, or the pleasure of, of watching over these past few years. Um, and, uh, you know, as a productive, multi-year starter and someone who was on the field for a long time contributing. Um, excited for, for that him if that happens. Um, I'm a little surprised Javon Williams hasn't kind of made his way onto the radar so much. He also was a guy who started for three three or four years at UConn at cornerback. Um, is he is he on people's radar at all? And, and if not, why?
2: I think he was a little bit last year. Um, but he had a down year, like, you know, like UConn overall, mm-hmm. um, and I think also he's hurt by a really deep cornerback class. Okay. You know, there's just so many, so many good corners this year. He'll probably, I mean, he'll, I don't think he'll get drafted, but he'll, uh, you know, latch on in training camp somewhere, and he'll have a shot. Right.
0: Yep. Absolutely. I mean, a- Andrew Adams did it last year and ended up uh, playing for the New York Giants and. In some cases, you know, it can be better to be undrafted and kind of pick a good situation for for yourself to end up in. Um, So definitely are still some Huskies beyond those guys who could make it in the NFL. And, I mean, I think another one, I don't know if you guys do extensive grading on kickers, but Bobby Puyol uh, has had a a really solid end to his career at UConn. uh, But I know, you know, kickers don't really get drafted too, too often unless there's an insane owner or GM involved. So um, hopefully uh, hopefully at least he gets a chance somewhere as an undrafted free agent. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. I think we're going to – one last kind of question that we do have. Uh, thought it would be interesting. The Huskies do have a lot of junior talent coming up through the ranks. Um, I know it's, uh, it's so crazy early to, to be doing right now, but um, – you know, some names who who stick out to me as very interesting prospects include Foley uh Luke Carrizola, Junior Joseph, and then again, Jamar Summers, who we mentioned earlier. So um, what are your feelings on potential within the 2018 NFL draft class for UConn?
2: Well, uh Jamar Summers plays that premier position, so if he can get back to where he was last year, which was top ten among you know, grade wise among cornerbacks mm-hmm. in the country, he's got a real shot to to make an impact there. Junior Joseph was the UConn's highest rated defensive player last year for us. Uh so I, I li I really like him. And then of course Fatu Kasi um, he's a monster. I love that guy. Yeah. He definitely has a chance to, uh, if he shows himself this year like he has been, he's been really consistent. So he's yeah, got a shot. That is your
0: just textbook defensive line uh, beast, right? Yep. Just, just you know, I think he could have a Melifonu-esque kind of rise through the through the rankings, um, but but he could do it on the field too uh, in a big Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Um, so that's really exciting. And then, I mean, there's other guys too. We didn't even, uh, you know, Arkel Newsom. Do you think he's yeah. got a, a shot?
2: If they give him the damn ball. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's he's explosive. He's a playmaker. Uh-huh. He was. They they gave Ron Johnson the ball more than him, I think. Uh,
0: I think when they were freshmen, Johnson got more touches. But uh, last year, Newsom definitely got more touches, and I think the even the year before that
2: um not enough not enough touches right
0: no i, I agree get get the ball to Arkel newsom in yes. space i think uh hopefully the new staff will be uh able to do a much better job of that uh so that should also help a lot of the players draft status um as we know that that was not really the case last season
2: we got one more for you sure sure please uh, tommy hopkins okay okay please, if you- it's coming back from injury, right? If he can get back to the year before, was mm-hmm. it 2015? He was our 16th best overall guard in 2015. So wow. he's uh, he's got the talent there. If he can
0: he get back some to pre-injury form, well, that's a good one. Um, I do think there is enough talent on the roster to have a pretty good season, and uh, hopefully, some of those guys then earn the opportunity to to continue their to apply their trade at the next level. So uh, thank you very much for your expertise. Louis. really appreciate it. And uh, I know you're probably very busy during this time, so thank you for, for uh, being so generous and best of luck with your predictions and uh, the rest of the work that you have, uh, I'm sure in the days leading up to the draft.
2: Thank you, I really appreciate it. It's always fun talking you Kant.
0: For our third and final segment, it is my great honor and privilege to introduce our next guest. He is a man who blazed trails with UConn football, leading the team to great success as the program joined the FBS ranks. He threw 56 touchdown passes in his final two years, and the Huskies won their first ever bowl game in his senior year in 2004. He's the best quarterback to ever wear a Husky uniform, and that's Dan Orlowski. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure. And so – Recently, you've been a little bit involved with the Husky program. Uh, you uh, Obviously, you had a, a, your, your playing career at UConn, ended in 04, and then you had been spending your time in the NFL. Um, and so this was kind of your first opportunity to come back to campus, right, for a while?
3: Yeah, I mean, I haven't been on, been on campus in probably about seven years. Um, some of that because, you know, I was in the heart of my NFL career and uh, my wife and I had kids so we started a family we were living away so just getting back to campus was literally more difficult travel wise um, than it is now and then um, i just you know people had moved on from the campus so i didn't know a lot of faces there anymore i didn't know many of the coaches um, the support staffs the equipment staffs the medical staffs Um, i didn't know that many people so it was it had become almost foreign territory for me
0: so, uh, I mean, the one thing that anyone who's kind of been been visiting UConn intermittently, uh, myself as a recent graduate, relatively recent graduate, uh, how how changed has the campus been, just just structurally and the buildings and all of that, since since you've had a chance to be there, and or even since you were there as a student.
3: I mean, the difference between me as a student is incredible. It it actually looks like, you know, I've I've been able to see a bunch of schools because of the travel of my playing career and it looks like as as nice a school as I've ever seen Um, the the campus the buildings the architecture the growth is incredible when I had gotten up there at the beginning of spring this year someone had said you need to go check out uh, I think they're calling it like downtown stores or something
0: yeah stores store center yeah
3: store center and you know I was like well I'm sure it's cool whatever (laughs) and I went and I was like what yeah. You know, it, you know, it did not look like it didn't look like the University of Connecticut that I had remembered. Um, it, it didn't look like it belonged at a college campus. It looked like it belonged, you know, in the a downtown area of an incredibly wealthy town. So um,
1: yeah.
3: it's really cool. It's great to see the growth of the, the university and kind of continues to take center stage nationally with one of the nicest campuses in the country. So it's it's great for the school, it's great for the state.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that spot that used to be a, uh, a store two four and a and a subway and a t- Domino's uh, really like had the
3: greatest place in the world to us. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Don't worry, we got store two four. Life is good.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. So they they definitely have it a lot a lot better now uh, yeah. for sure. So, um, well, that's great. And you know, we actually just wrapped up a conversation about the spring game, and I know you had a chance to see it um, as a quarterback. Uh, I would love to hear your insights and, and what you saw from, from the new Husky offense.
3: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, an exciting offense to watch. I mean, it fits very much into what college football is nowadays and snaps and lots of snaps, and when you're done with that, even more snaps. Uh, it's using all 53 and a third you know, yards of the field horizontally and width-wise and as many players as you can get into space. Um, they're going to run a lot of plays. It's going to be very up-tempo. It's going to force defenses to be in great condition, communicate at a high level, execute at a higher level. So um, I think the scheme will certainly help them. Um, It was fun to be up there in the spring and to get to know some of the new coaches. I think that offensive staff and the defensive staff are phenomenal, but most of my time was spent with the offensive staff. I think they're very bright. I think it's really cool that they have, some, they have some clout and some pedigree to their names. Um, mm-hmm. they've, they've coached in the biggest of the big ones. So it's great for the university. I think it's great for the kids. Um, it should be really cool to see the growth. I could say this. They got much better from day one to day <laughs> practice one to practice 15, much better. So I think as a university, as a, a program, I think it's in good hands coaching. wise. It'll be a fun offense. It's not, it's not going to be an offense that – you know people grew up watching essentially but it'll be fun
0: yeah i was gonna ask are you were you feeling a little jealous out there uh seeing that offense and wishing it was it was you running that that kind of offense
3: no no, no i joked i mean i would sit in the offensive staff rooms and i would joke many times i can never run it because i'm i mean the quarterback has to has some point being a, a threat to run with the football so uh-huh. um i'm much more the old school drop back throw it person but uh, it's. I think it's a cool offense because there's not a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, you know, most you, you get a play call back in the day, or in most schemes as a quarterback, you get a play call and you got to diagnose defenses a lot, and you can almost overthink things because you spend so much time at the line of scrimmage. This offense is almost reactionary. You know, you play at such a fast pace. Here's the call, just go play, and mm-hmm. um, you know I think that affords um, simpler defenses that you'll probably see um, defenses will catch up, but I think they will be simpler scheme wise. You're not going to see as many exotic, crazy pressures because teams can't coordinate them as quickly as they could, you know, if you were huddling.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's take a step back uh, all the way back to your time when you're deciding where you're, where you're heading to college, Dan Orlovsky, the pride of Shelton, Connecticut, uh, deciding where he's going to go to school. And, and you have, it seemed like a lot of options um so what what made you decide to pick uconn
3: yeah i mean uconn coach edsel and UConn started recruiting me when i was a 14 year old sophomore um and initially you know when i was a kid uconn football wasn't anything you know in the state that had notoriety so i had brushed them aside and i wanted to go play essentially what "Quote unquote bigger football, um, mm-hmm. more big time national television games." So I wanted to set, really go play in the Big Ten, and I got recruited by some Big Ten schools and some ACC schools. And my heart was set on Boston College, and they, you know, ended up not offering me throughout my process. But really, what sold me on attending UConn was Coach Etzel. Essentially, you know, Coach Etzel stayed on me from day one. He was very black and white, He never promised me a job. He kind of challenged me in a way, you know, he he said, I had a, other coaches in other schools say, you know, we, we think you can come in and start right away, which was enticing to me, but Coach Etzel was like, I'm not gonna give you a starting job. You've gotta come earn it. And that kind of, you know, I was, so many of us athletes thrive off people telling us you can't. Mm-hmm. So um, that was almost like I interpreted as him kind of challenging me, like, I don't think you can type Thing. And then there was something, I, I don't know exactly how to put it into words, but there was something that I fell in love with of trying to do the impossible almost. You know, he was selling me on this dream of let's build this program, let's take it from here to there, let's go join 1A in the Big East. And, you know, all those big dreams that he had, you know, I kind of fell in love with it because so many people thought we were crazy, you mm-hmm. know, and so many people thought it was going to take so much time or it was going to almost be impossible. So, I think it was like that that challenge that no one thought it could happen.
0: Well, that's great. Uh, we're We're thankful that you did. Uh, and it seems to have turned out well for everybody involved. Uh, over ten thousand passing yards as a husky, uh, remarkable initial season in the Big East, eight and four record. Uh, as you look back on those times, do you have a a favorite game or or something that was kind of like a defining moment where where you realized, um, you know, either for yourself or, or UConn as a whole could compete at this level?
3: Yeah. I mean, there's so many moments, you know, there's so many individual moments. Uh, some of them would probably sound weird because it's not necessarily the big games that they were. It was the little moments that you shared, you know, working out with your teammates, um, you know, getting up in the morning during the winter. I would say the, the first moment, the first home game, you know, it wrenched their field. Um, we played Indiana, and I had a coach, Rob Ambrose, who's now the head coach at Towson University. We were about to walk out into the tunnel, and he kind of grabbed me. And he said, I want you to get to the end of the tunnel, look around, take it all in because it's an amazing experience. Appreciate it. And then, he, you know, he would say, lock in the mechanism. And kind of he's like, go ready to go go play. You got a you know, a job to do, essentially. We got the ball. We went right down the field, and I, I threw a touchdown pass to – uh, I think O'Neill Wilson in the back of the end zone. I just remember in that moment looking at the crowd, you know, and having these goose, I mean, I get goosebumps talking about it now, these goosebumps on my body. And it was like the, everything that Coach Etzel was telling me since I was a 14, 15-year-old recruit was happening. You know, it was that impossible was happening. I think that was one of the moments that stands out to me. When we played Pittsburgh at home on national TV, um, we beat them and, that place was bananas, loud and energy. I think it was such a cool moment for the school and the program. So uh, certainly the bowl game, you know, the bowl game was a culmination of, again, another, another tip of the cap to all the people that told us we couldn't do it. So there's a lot of moments um, that stand out that are really cool that, you know, I tell people no one could take away from us. Yeah,
0: that's, uh, that's good stuff. Thanks for sharing. And so, uh, so you finished, you wrap up your career, you have the bowl, great bowl game win over Toledo. Um, and, uh, and then you're facing, uh, something which had not been happening very frequently in the past. It was, uh, kind of being one of the first UConn play- players, uh, picked in the NFL draft. So what was, what was that like?
3: Uh, you know, my draft experience wasn't fantastic. You know, I had a pretty good junior year and a lot of buzz coming out of my junior year of college and my senior year was kind of just okay. Um, and quarterbacks get a lot of attention. So I remember... You know, uh, I remember being on Mel hyper like big board, you know, at the end of my senior year, I don't know where I was um, and I, they asked me to come play in the senior bowl and I was like, a yeah, gal come play and I went down to the senior bowl and I was terrible just I think the moment got too big for me in that moment and I was I didn't, I just didn't perform well and I remember walking down into the players lounge and they were having a sports center special and the, uh, the, the host of Sports and was like, hey, Mel, give us one player whose stock was hurt the most this week. And he just pounded me. Oh, man. Um, it was not a fun moment for me. So, you know, the draft, I thought I would go in the second round. Then I'm going in the fifth round. And a lot of emotions that weekend. Um, that kind of cloud over the, you know, the incredible accomplishment of actually getting drafted. So I think as – you know, days after the draft went on, I kind of took it for what it was and appreciated the fact that it actually happened and the work that was put in to get there. Um, it was still a great experience, but there was just some stuff that happened that kind of, you know, sure. no one's draft, ex- not no one's, but not many people get the draft experience they want. Um, and there's all the cliches. It's not where you start, it's where you finish and all that. But when you're a kid going through it, it doesn't make it any easier. So, um, but it was still, it was still another moment that, you know, I was super proud of and because it was another thing where people said, ah, you can't do that. You Mm -hmm. know, I was fortunate enough to accomplish it.
0: Yep. I mean, yeah, the first, first round of the draft is coming up uh, this Thursday and I'm sure there's uh, over a hundred kids who think they've, they've got a shot at being called in that first round. So yeah, completely understand. Um, So, you know, obviously you're, 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 diving into the NFL career, full-time football, you know, very, very focused and, and you know, obviously professional level, taking it to a new – to new heights. Um, to what extent were you able to, uh, during that time, still follow UConn football or, or, you know, even give Randy Edsel a call or, or you know, what, what to what extent were you in, in uh, keeping tabs on the program?
3: Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you, you know, I would – rep UConn pretty hard early on in my career I was still a kid you're fresh out of college you know you you have guys that you're either playing with in the NFL or playing against that you did so you know in college and you know had some quote-unquote rivalries that you would kind of talk trash on and still it was still kind of fresh you know as my career went on and coach Edson moved on from the university and um, you know the university and I grew apart almost and the you know, I think both of us kind of had our hand in it, but um, you know, when Coach was there, when Coach Etzel was there, I was still very much so calling them, and because all my coaches were still there, the guy Lyndon Johnson who started recruiting me as a kid was there, so there was still those relationships that we had. You know, when Coach Etzel decided to leave, and Coach Pasqualoni came in, and then uh, Coach Diaco came in, there I, I didn't, I followed, but I didn't have that connection still because. The people that, you know, and I was getting older, so I was becoming more aware of what we had accomplished. And those mm-hmm. people that shared that with with me and all my other teammates, they were gone. So um, there wasn't a huge um, open door of welcoming for ex-players and alumni to feel like we were still part of the program. Um, so I think I followed and kept tabs, but as the years went on, probably, um, Probably was uh, um, less interested to um, have some communication done with the program.
0: What What were your thoughts when when Ensel decided to leave UConn for Maryland, and um, you know, kind of when if you heard about what happened and when the way he did it and that kind of stuff? um, You know, how did that strike you, or you know, what were you even up to at that at that uh, at that point?
3: What was I up to? I can't pinpoint what I was up to. Uh, I got four kids. I don't know what I did. It's, it's not like the Kennedy
0: assassination for you. You don't remember yeah. where you were.
3: I mean, to be honest with you, and I've I shared this with him when he left, I was pissed. Um, mm-hmm. I was pissed like so many other people were. Um, him and I talked about it. Um, you know, he called me and we talked about it. And um, I got to a point where I was able to understand and respect why he made his decision. I know that people were mad about it in the past. Uh, and I try to tell people this, coach. like I said, Coach Edsel, I've known, I'm 34. So I've known Coach Edsel more than half of my life. I've known him for 20 years. I know, especially when it comes to football, I know exactly who he is. Just because we think we know everything doesn't mean we do. You know, I, I, I don't think that, I know that Coach Edsel didn't leave um, because of, just because there were there was reasoning to make that choice now most of people don't know why those reasons were and it's not it's no one's business truthfully um he made a choice that he thought was the best thing for him um and i i don't think anyone could fault anybody for that but i was mad at him um Mm -hmm. but we've you know i i give him even more credit that he made the choice to come back and face it you know so um you know i'm glad that he's back and and um things didn't happen the way he wanted them to at maryland but i think that he's in a better place and the program's in a place better place today um now that both of them are kind of in that marriage again
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i, I agree as I, you know I, it takes takes balls to come back after after doing something like that and and um you know he was very forthright and honest and i think that definitely went a long way with yeah. the fan base and and then I think kind of something which you mentioned earlier—the part that hey, let's let's talk shop here. He was the only person to be successful at UConn, so yeah. um, you know, and, and then consider the circumstances which which were uh, occurring before. So sure. um, you know, I think it's been a great job by by David Benedict to really turn things around. When you think about that 2016 season ending. Uh, Husky fans and and people who care about the program were, were about as down as you could get. So
3: yeah, and I don't blame people. I mean, trust me, I've been a part of some really really bad teams, mm-hmm. and sometimes players you get hurt about it as fans. And look, I know fans can cross lines at some point. It is what it is. But you know, I'm a believer. Is like, well, what do you want them to do? Come cheer? You know, lack of effort and poor execution and performance. So I get it. I I was there was i was leading the charge with you know kind of how bad things have gotten you know and kind of my upset level with the program so i get it um and i think i think it's awesome that um people were allowed to voice their opinion i think it's awesome that coach came back and i think it's exciting i think you know i tell people all the time that aren't from the state uconn's you know connecticut's baby you know it's mm-hmm. That why Why do people love UConn so much? Because there's no pro sports. It's their baby, yeah. you know. So um, that's one of the reasons, you know, where, you know, I understand now even more so when I was a kid being from the state and then going to UConn was such a big deal, although I didn't realize it then. So I'm really excited for Coach. I'm excited for the program. I'm excited for the school. I'm excited for the fans. I'm excited for the players. I'm, you know, I, I you know, I had 1st experience of what it was like, so.
0: hmm Definitely, uh, I think it's uh, it's he's he's brought back the excitement around the program, and and not a whole lot much more you can ask uh, given the circumstances. Um, going back to kind of the the your your time in the NFL, and you know as we mentioned, there there weren't a lot of UConn guys there at the start. Um, you know, you are now uh, eleven years into your your career there, and and that's changed dramatically. Uh, what has it been like to see kind of this regular kind of uh, Additions every few, you know, every year, a couple of UConn players joining the league, and then really starting to build up a, a little crew.
3: Yeah, I mean it's incredible. I You know, there was a couple kids after me that came. You know, and uh, you know when I get to see Darius Butler, and I see he's going into his ninth year. You know, it's because uh, I know how hard it is to play for four years, mm-hmm. and I'm obviously well aware how hard it is to play for nine years, and so. It's it's an incredible feeling to see guys like D-Butt and Donald Brown have the career that he had and, um, you know, um, Jordan Todman to have the career that he's had and Kendall Reyes to have, you know, these guys that stack careers, years on top of it. It's awesome. And, you know, you it's it's a thing that you have to fight because there's a part of you, your ego and your pride that almost wants to say like, Oh man, you know, I, you know, the part of the reason that they've had such the career is because of you, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's a, it's a fine line because, you know, well aware that the impact that you're able to have on a program, um, and opportunities that came from that. But, you know, I give those kids all the credit in the world because like I said, I know how hard it is to accomplish the things that they've accomplished
0: absolutely yeah i think there's and and you know we've got a guy this year obi melefonu who's who's looking like he might be another early round pick so um even though the past few years haven't been uh as successful for for husky fans they're still still putting players in the nfl still still having that caliber of player which is uh which is really great
3: yeah Um, i mean where i've been i've asked scouts you know and they scouts always say you can always count you know and going to be able to find something at UConn every year you can find players there. So, um, it's, it's really cool. I mean, no one would have thought that 15 years ago that that would be the case. So it's a Testament to, you know, coach and kind of what he has built culture wise and you know, what he's trying to reestablish essentially.
0: So, um, you know, one thing about the Huskies since you've left, uh, it's, it's almost kind of been a, a little bit of a running thing, but we're, we're still looking for the next Dan Orlovsky. Um, you know, it's it's been a a rocky road of of kind of stability at that position for for UConn, um, quite literally since 2004. Uh, do you have any kind of thoughts as as to why that has been the case? I mean, it's obviously a very tough position to play, um, but yeah. at the same time, you know, we we found a good option once, and but just haven't been able to since.
3: Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a tough. Tough position to play. I think it's, you know, if not the one of the toughest positions in sports to play. Um, I'm certainly hopeful that UConn finds somebody. Uh, I also tell, and I say this, I also, you know, try. sometimes I'll tell my family this. I've been fortunate enough where I've played a dozen years in the NFL. Like I wasn't just a guy who did something good at UConn and then, you know, fell flat on my face. I mean, I don't know how many players in the history of the NFL have played for a dozen years. So, i also think that again it sounds braggadocious but like i don't know if people can necessarily compare the person who's going to play the position to me because uh, you know like i'm trying not to say it like you can say it say bad, it no I mean, i'm not trying not to sound like tooting my own horn but it's like dude i you know I've, I've gone on to have a relatively successful career so those don't people like uh, people who are able to do that don't don't come along very often they're just and I'm not normal, and I say that almost poking fun at myself. I'm just not. you know I, I've...
0: I love it. Hey, uh, be be real about it. that's uh, that's great. I, I totally agree. and and um, it was a it was a rare gift. and then hopefully we can catch another one later sometime.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, so you know you you had, as you mentioned, you're you're on going on a dozen years now in the NFL and um, you know eventually that that time as a player will have to come to an end. Are you, uh, you know, and you just got a taste for for coaching? Uh, you maybe dabbled in some sideline reporting type stuff. Uh, do you, you've obviously, I'm sure, thought about your your plans for after football. Um, you, are you leaning in any direction?
3: Um, well, you know, uh, I, I certainly think that my heart is in football. You know, staying attached to football. I, I have conversations with my wife, and you know, I've been playing football since I was nine. It's the, most constant thing in the history of my life, you know, more than my wife, more than my kids, more than anything. So, football has been very good to me. It's kind of shaped me. I'm such a believer in the game and um, the process it builds, you know, and how it builds character and men. Um, coaching is something that is uh, very enticing to me. I think that I would thoroughly enjoy it. I think I'd be really good at it. Um, I also have seen you know, up front and front and center, the kind of impact it has on people's lives. It's, I mean, coaches grind and, you know, I've grinded for the better part of 16 years now with pro and college football. So, um, you know, I don't know if I'm there, um, because of that, I know what it does. You know, it's, it's hard on families. It's hard. on, right, kids, right. It's hard on I've moved seven times since college. Um, I've got four kids, so I don't have that desire. And you know, that's the reality of the coaching profession is sometimes it's you can move around a lot. Um I've always been intrigued with the you know, the the calling games, the the analyst aspect of things. Um and I kinda got to dabble a little bit this past weekend at the spring game with it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So that keeps me close to the game. I get to talk about, I mean, I adore sports. I love sports. So talking about sports is easy to me. Uh, I've been around it my whole life. I've seen it at the highest level for 12 years now. So um, I think that, you know, I bring a lot to the table in regards to that. So uh, I've got some options. I've got some things that I'm going to entertain. You know, fortunately I don't have to jump at something, you know, I can kind of pick or choose what I want to do and, Either way, you know, something that's going to afford, you know, me the opportunity to spend a good amount of time with my family and my kids and my wife, you know, is probably something that I'm going to lean towards most. But I've also, I also can't fake the funk either. I've got to, it's got to make me tick and it's got to, I've got to enjoy it and love it because I've had the coolest job since I left college. So I can't, I can't just go have a job just to have a job. And that sounds like almost rude to say. Um, but it's the it, you know I I can't I've had the, the most fun job so I I don't want to do something just to do it.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Well, um, you know if you ever need I, I accept your application for the UConn blog <laughs> right now. So uh, we'll 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 have our lawyers talk. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Uh, are you uh, are you a video game player at all? I know it's kind of big for people, especially in the NFL or uh, well, even in the college when there when there used to be NCAA, but
3: No, I mean, we played a ton in college. I haven't played video games since probably 2004, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's reality. There's realities that happen when you play in the NFL that as you get older, you know, you get older. And, you know, some kids will be in the locker room. We talk about video games and I'll almost be like, dude, you're a loser. But then I think, (laughs) oh, you're only 21 or 22 years old. So that's what you should be doing. You know, I've had moments like that. So, no, I don't play video games. I mean, I have four kids. I don't. know i barely brush my teeth some days sure sure um, no i don't i don't play to be honest with you i'm i'm a huge like movie and you know television show person more than video games i just video games we played a ton in college we played ncaa football for the most part but yeah i haven't really played much since i left college
0: did you did you play as yourself of course, <laughs> we have massive egos, man. Yeah, well, so that's I, the reason I brought that up was because I was, uh, you know, in my in my formative years, uh, p- picking up a copy of Madden '03 and, or sorry, Madden uh, NCAA 03, and I would play as UConn, and and you were the quarterback. And I don't know if you remember this from the game, but when I was playing as UConn, a lot of those receivers would drop balls. Did you did you experience that? Yeah. <laughs> uh- the yeah, quarterback, uh, QB number seven, was rated much higher than the rest of the team. You didn't yeah, notice
3: that. I remember. I remember. We. It was the summertime when the game came actually out in stores going into my senior year, and um, I had done some stuff with EA Sports. Like uh, they, I have some. You know, some of the NCAA 03 or 04, I forget. But I have some with like me on the cover, like some mm-hmm. cool stuff that they made for me. And I remember when the game came out. You know, I was living that summer with some of my teammates and we would run. We ran to the store, we got it and we plugged it in and all the ratings came up and, you know, I think I had a relatively solid rating or whatever. And I mean, that gives you immediate opportunities for so much trash talk. Right. Um, so, no, I, I, uh, I don't know if I really ever played with myself while I was playing in college because... I think we had a rule like, hey, no one could play with UConn or something because then we both would be trying to do it. But mm-hmm. um, I can't speak to the drop passes. I think I had a pretty good crew of real live receivers.
0: Right, yeah. No, I agree. I just think they needed to figure figure something out about that. Yeah. But uh, glad, glad we had a chance to chat about that. Um, well, I, I, you have been very, very gracious with your time, and I do appreciate that. I do have one last question for you. Uh, solve some very heated debates which go on uh uh between uconn alumni uh, of all of all types what was your favorite place to eat on campus while you were in stores
3: oh man um all right i might need your help here i mean dpdo was always cool and we did wings over stores but was there a sergeant peps yep yep all right i would crush before we would ever go out like you know go out and have fun i would get i would order two large chicken cheesesteaks to my apartment <laughs> keep them in the oven and come home and just absolutely blast those so i think just the chicken cheesesteak from sergeant peps was like a go-to for mm-hmm. me um but i loved the deepy dough and love wings over stores yeah so I, think, I think the chicken cheesesteak won for me
0: that's a good one. that's a, that's a low key hit. that's that yeah. is definitely a good one. Um, yeah. Well now there's now there's a lot more options out there, but I think some of the the old classics uh, still do a great job. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, uh, Dan Orlovsky, thank you so much for your time. greatly appreciate it and uh, best of luck with everything going forward and and hopefully we
3: can see you in stores again sometime soon. Thank you, man, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely.